All right. Of course, we have had a couple people uh, write in. I've got a message here. It says, I find it hard to hear people who don't believe in the story of Noah's flood. Just imagine if the rain lasted for 40 days. We in Australia know how quickly floods happen and the destruction it can cause. We have a loving God who promised never to destroy the world through a flood. Again, praise his mercies. Amen. I think, you know, from the limited disaster that we see in Australia, like we... Um, oh, even around the world, you know, um, small events that, that, that happen that are just absolutely catastrophic. Um, yet, you know, we still live to see another day. Yet, mm. you know, uh, 40 days and 40 nights of constant heavy rain caused a flood. So, yeah. Thank God he did promise he wouldn't flood the earth again. So, mm. <laughs> that's yeah, handy. Praise the Lord. Of course, we have a, a greater destruction to look forward to in, in the end. <laughs> yeah. um, but, of course, that comes with ultimate restoration. Something we're going to be talking about this hey, week. I have another message here um, from Raphael. It says... As for Trump, he's far more, he's far from a spent force. If we expect to get the truth from the NWO media, of which six people own 90% of all media in the USA, uh, we, because of this, we have a big problem. Mm. So. Of course, uh, this is an illusion. To, and, and Raphael goes on to talk about, um, you know, how this exists and we shouldn't be deceived. Uh, this is so easy to see, you know, and Matthew 24 gives us these signs, how many people will go out to, to deceive the world. Many mm. false prophets, as the Bible says. You know, I, I, I tend to agree, you know, uh, it is, you know, a terrible thing that yeah. there's much such a small group with um, very uh, direct intentions control so much of the media. But at the same mm-hmm. time, like what Trump is aiming to do is you know, amongst a wealth of privatized platforms, mm-hmm. uh, because social media is included in that too. Mm-hmm. You know, social media, like for example, Trump was banned from Twitter. Yeah, uh, that's because he breached the terms and conditions of Twitter, which is defined by the people who own Twitter. Mm-hmm. They're not. Th- there are legal things within the terms and conditions. You know, I, I can imagine. You know, the the sharing of certain content that is just outright illegal. But at the same time, you know, uh, many of the conditions of Twitter are are, are arbitrary and based on the opinions of the people who own Twitter. Now, if Trump creates another privatized platforms based on his ideals on how a social media should function, uh, you know, we're essentially going to see the same thing. You know, it's a pro uh, a platform promoting one person rather than the other. Now, uh, producer Shell, we were actually having a conversation about this during the break. Producer Shell pointed out that this isn't necessarily a problem because then that gives people a choice. Mm-hmm. Which platform do you want to go to? Which platform do you want to hear from? But... You know, is just a stack of privatized platforms, um, you know, sharing one idea, a good thing, a bad thing. Um, I, I, I think, though, doesn't it provide perspective? Because, um, listen, mm. regardless of what you believe, it does It does provide, I think, the argument that that a lot of, um, I'm oh, don't quote me on this, but a lot of right, right I don't know, social media can often be left- left winged mm-hmm. often and so like it doesn't provide a right winged pers- perspective mm. and so they're just like this is another perspective if you so choose mm-hmm. i don't know what do you think about that oh yeah it's just providing another platform Definitely. and i think that's that's kind of the the solution to all of it it's not necessarily that we'll ever receive a platform where they where it truly is fair game 100%. and if it truly if yeah. it truly was it probably look get pretty messy yeah um 
but at the same time, yeah, we have a we have a choice as a consumer as to where we go from to hear things. Just as uh, you guys are listening to us this morning, so <laughs> praise the Lord, <laughs> praise the Lord for that. Though we have a, pr- a platform to do positively different news um, and to share our perspective on how you yeah. know um, not only uh, yeah just about events and random things mm. and, and what we think about life, but how God is in, has worked in our life. You know, we just heard a powerful testimony yeah. from, from Tim Turner about how God has worked in his life, how he, God has made him the person today. And, and then using that lens, you know, to like for Tim doing that amazing ministry, mm. um, the, you know, to release people from a pornography addiction. Like yeah. um, this is a perspective that not a lot of people hold, but it's good that we have a place like Faith FM that we can promote that. That's actually um, so true. So yeah. yeah, really good, good conversation. Of course, if you have anything to say about this, give us a text 0491 If you have anything to say about uh, social media, yeah, just let us know. Um, but now we, we have to get to our Bible study. We're just, we're just, I, I, always, I love to say, when we just get into conversation, I'm like, yeah, we're podcasting now. We're just, we're just having a conversation and it's good. But, um, okay, not to get to, you know, we've been talking about social media, not to get, not to get too like ultra zillennial. Of course, we got to remind you guys, Lyle is coming back next week. But I, 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 okay, I saw a meme over the weekend and I'm like, oh man, this really relates to, uh, the Bible study, uh, that we did last week and going into the one that we did this week. So last week we talked about God's judgment and this week we're talking about God's restoration. Oh, and that goes hand in hand. Definitely, because they're both things that happened at the end and as we're going to look at today, all throughout time. But um, this meme is basically, you know, it's like one of those kind of conversational memes. You've got atheists and then like a colon there to, you know, atheists. Why doesn't God get rid of all the evil people in the world? God, you know, and then in uh, in asterisks, wipes out evil people and societies in the Old Testament. And there's like atheists and then shock face, you know, um, because I think especially to something like, uh, you know, the Amalekite genocide is classic example that people cite to say, wow, look at God telling people to wipe out another people group. But then they don't consider that the Amalekites were basically a society run and funded by systematic child abuse yeah. and systematic um, child sacrifice. You yeah. know, that was, yeah. that, this was the evilest of the evilest of the evilest. And those same people who make the argument like, you know, oh, why doesn't God get rid of the pedophiles? You know, why doesn't, you know, because that's what they deserve. Well, we have seen instances of God's judgment on this world um, and him doing that exactly thing. Yet people are, are shocked that, oh, God would God would go so far. In fact, I'm going to say something right now. Say Probably it. controversial. Say it. The God of the New Testament is in is far more destructive than the God of the Old Testament. Ooh. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You're going to have to explain what yeah. that meant. So, so people often see the God of the New Testament as love, grace, Jesus. Like, yeah. which, well, which Jesus is, healed people. Exactly. He preached peace. And- preached peace. And then they see the Old Testament as dark heavy, intense, you know, warfare, uh, fighting, uh, God, you know, Amalekite genocide, yeah, like, you know, destroying nations, like kicking them off their land, the, the flood, the plague, the plagues. But as we talked about yesterday, so God's judgment is the, you know, the, I would say the second last chapter of the human story. Um, and what happens at the end of God's judgment is that sin is completely and utterly destroyed. And with it, 
every, you know, we talked about yesterday, you know, the fairness of God's judgment, that even those who are deemed wicked based on their own choices, and as we talked with Tim about, not because God couldn't save them, but because they didn't want to be saved, mm. um, that they will ultimately confess that God is true and just and good and that sin shouldn't exist. And because of that, They've chosen against God and they themselves should be destroyed. Mm. That is the picture that we get of the judgment. That is the conclusion of the judgment at the end. That the whole of the universe is in agreement that sin should be destroyed, even those who would be destroyed with it. But that's the thing, is that God destroys sin and everything with it. Mm. That includes everyone. This is probably the highest amount of people that you could say, you know, God is bringing to an end. Like... This is the biggest destruction of all time. But but why does God do it? Because that's the big thing. It's like, oh, wait. Oh, so you, Lawson, you're telling me that the God of the New Testament is also destructive because the connotation about the destructive God in the Old Testament is that he, then he's evil. Yes. He's terrible. Yeah. But, you know, as we've looked at, it's like, no, God was responding, you know, the Amalekite genocide, God was responding to this localized situation. That The, the reason why it had such high priority is because it um, inhibited the mission of uh, the Israelites themselves, who were like the Israelites, would go on to bring G, you know, bring the Messiah and give ultimate healing and restoration, and hope and redemption and salvation to the people. Um, so, so in that localized situation, God acted and God judged. But we see, you know, the ultimate form of that in the end. Ultimately, we see that God's judgment is never evil we talked about this last week god's judgment is always fair is always correct is always true and it's always for the betterment of the world Mm. not a select group of people it's even for the betterment of those perpetrating yeah this is what this is what we saw last week that everyone will confess every knee will bow every tongue will confess so god is so you know when you just look at it from this perspective Mm -hmm. um god is so consistent and it's so easy to judge and make those kind of judgments about god and his judgment process Mm -hmm. when you just hear this little detail that oh God killed a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. But when you read actually the books in the Old Testament and when you read about the judgment of God, you read actually, you hear his pain and he's like, he, yeah. he, he's, he's mm. not happy. And you you hear how he's been warning the people or mm. how he's been trying to bring them away. Like he sends mm. so many prophets who preach, preach, preach to call the people back to correct the people and to warn them, Hey, the way you're going is going to lead to these consequences. And eventually the consequences do catch up with their actions. Um, and then God does have to um, act in that form. But like you said before, with God's judgment comes restoration. He doesn't just exactly. leave us high and dry. But he comes back and he restores us, but he res- restores us abundantly. And that is something that, oh, this is trans uh, uh, segued perfectly. So in the book of Isaiah, and we the, the 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 kind of restoration that Isaiah describes um, comes at a time when it's most needed for the Israelites because they are currently going through judgment. Hmm. Um, they have, as you said, prophets sent to them, warnings, messages sent to them. You need to get back on track. What you're doing is evil. What you're doing is going to lead to ultimate destruction because Israel's purpose as God's special people was to bless the world. How would they bless the world? Bring forth the Messiah. You can't do that if you are just going to end up in fact, they were turning destroyed. Exactly. And they were turning on each other. I think one of the biggest things that I loved about um, 
when God was saying you need to turn from your ways, these, mm-hmm. the, what you're doing is they said internally your own leaders are abusing the poor and the widowed, mm-hmm. the, the helpless um, of your community. So, yeah. Yeah. So they're in this place where they have been judged yet for their wickedness and then they go through destruction. Yeah. The, the, um, you know, the Babylonian captivity, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, like heavy stuff um, that, that goes on. They, they receive the consequences um, and it, it comes in the form of, you know, Nebuchadnezzar marching up, uh, Babylon marching up on them and just, just wrecking them, you know. Um, but then that brings us to the, the message that Isaiah has for these people. In chapter 66, well, we've been going through the previous chapters about all these allusions to Christ. And uh, we talked about last week how the reason I, I, we think that there are so many allusions to Christ, so many prophecies um, of Christ in the book of Isaiah is because they're going through this this destruction experience and Christ is the ultimate answer to their problem. Yeah. Because the problem really is sin. Um, mm. it's, this, it's, this, it's their sins that have led them to these consequences. Uh, and all of these things about what Christ would do, who he would be, and how he would save them from that sin, lead them away from it. And then we get a, a picture in uh, chapter 66 of the restoration, sorry, chapter 65, sorry, of the restoration of that. The first half of the chapter of 65 is, is about the judgment. But then we come to verse 17. And Renee, I'd love it if you could just read from verse 17 all the way to the end of the chapter. Can do. Okay, so I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Uh Isaiah 66, verse 17. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die at that young will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For they are blessed people by the Lord, and their children too will be blessed." I will answer them before they can even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. Mm, powerful stuff. Um, <clears throat> okay, so we've read through this, this this story of restoration. Mm. When, when would you say... Uh, this is going to take place. Well, um, hmm, good question. When this this new new heaven, it sounds like the new heaven, the new earth, right? Mm-hmm. I, I believe this is when Jesus comes to restore the whole earth. All right, that is that's a fantastic. That's a guess. That's a fantastic, you know, place to put it. But I just want to say there is one verse that is 
is kind of out of place for that. Yes, yes. Yeah, verse 20. Mm-hmm. Verse 20. Can you could you read that again for yes, us? Yes, can do. So it says, No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. Okay, so your translation says, No longer will people be considered old at 100. My translation says, uh, No more will people die. At the age of 100. Oh. Uh, like people will, um, people, no, sorry. It will be common for people to die rather at the age of 100. Oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of like this thing of like, it's, it's saying that essentially there's still death. Uh, so it can't be when I, I guess. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, <laughs> you know, uh, let's turn to Revelation, uh, chapter 20 real quick. Uh, chapter 21, actually, I believe. Uh, you know, when you read these first four verses of Revelation chapter 21, you get a picture of, this is like the, the, qualifying new heaven, new earth statement. So read that for us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain or things. All these things are gone forever. Mm, so the picture we get here is this new heavens, new earth, total restoration, no death, no pain, no disease. We'll see. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. But uh, let's continue on with our Bible study because we were getting into some stuff here. Um, This difference between Isaiah chapter 65 and Revelation chapter 21 and the pictures that they give as to the ultimate restoration that happens at the end of time. We know that a judgment takes place, sin is removed, and things are fully restored. And as as the Bible, as you read in uh, chapter 21 and verse 4, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away so it, it seems as though you know this is this is the this ultimate restoration that takes place where where there is no more sin and there's no more of the results of sin death crying pain suffering yet in isaiah chapter 65 and verse 20 the bible says um no more shall live uh, shall an infant uh, they live but a few days. So it says, you know, no more uh, child uh, mortality, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. The child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be a curse. Hmm. And so this is given within this picture of total restoration. Because if you read around this, then it talks about the lion and the lamb laying together, like completely, you know, great supernatural act, something that you would you would ascribe to the very end of time. Before it, it says, you know, I'm making a new heavens and a new earth, a, 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 a new Jerusalem, like, again, a very end time language. And then it's just got in there, oh, yeah, and and the child uh, will die at 100 years old. Mm. And I was like, oh. What, uh, what, uh, wait, uh, uh, that surely can't—that can't be the new heaven. So, I'll put it like this: uh, as I was, th- I was mulling this over, reading the Bible, mm-hmm. consulting uh, the the lesson, and and uh, looking at the um, the Adventist Research Facility. They did some great great work on this verse as well. Essentially, this work of restoration, 
just the word restoration in the in the godly sense is that limited only to the very end of time no 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 of course and, and can you give me an example of how it's not um uh well i can say that when the israelites were taken into captivity mm-hmm. god did restore them back to their land yeah um and restored their nation 100 percent. so there we see a literal restoration mm. from israel being com- you know completely destroyed desolate yeah. in captivity um and you know over time then the medo-persian era um uh, Empire succeeds Babylon, and then we come to the story of Nehemiah, and he gets to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and that's the first steps that they take to, then 400 years after that, the great city of Jerusalem, you know, the second biggest economy in all of uh, Rome because of the temple system. So we see there like a very, you know, a, a restoration that occurs within the framework of, you know, politically um, as a nation. We also see, uh, actually, you know, when you read the Gospels of John, I was watching the, the Chosen on the weekend because the new season's about to come out. And so I was uh, brushing up on the old season, uh, watching some of the later, later episodes. And I believe it's, a, you know, a couple episodes from the end is the story of when uh, Jesus heals the leper. Um, who comes to him and then he heals the, the man who, whose legs are like, um, you know, uh, he's been paralyzed since birth. And then, you know, the story where they lower him down through the roof. Uh, Jesus preaching at the time, they lower this guy down in the roof and, and they, they heal him. Like powerful stories of, again, we see a type of restoration here, but very wrapped up in the, in the spiritual, like physical healing type of restoration. We also see a restoration, um, the restoration from sin. Uh, we read it. Actually, go to First uh, John. Let's read First John chapter. Is it chapter four and verse ten? I believe. Um, oh man, we're just we're just having a conversation. Here. It's a good time. First <laughs> John four ten. Could you read that for us? Sure. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Oh, yes. That's perfect. That's in relationship to what I wanted to talk about. Oh, where is where is the verse? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Ah, uh, oh, that's a good question. I can't I can't see it on the page, but I'm just going to quote it. I know it's out there uh, where the Bible says that um, God, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, this verse is like it's a it's a classic. It's one of the most um, you know quoted verses in the Bible um, because it talks about a spiritual restoration that happens. One from from sin itself. Now, we go through this. Like, it talks about the, the process of conversion, how God uh, wipes us clean from our sins, even before, you know, we see the other side, even before we see the second coming, ultimate restoration. God um, doing a restoration in our hearts, you know, uh, fulfilling His covenant and writing the law on our hearts, restoring us. Now, does this save us then from the consequence of death? No. No, not on this side of heaven, but still it's restoration happening before our eyes. What I believe is going on here in Isaiah chapter 65 is we're seeing pictures of both. And we're seeing pictures of both because Israel needed to see pictures of both. Israel, they're in physical captivity, um, but they're in physical captivity as a result of their sin. 
they're the result of, you know, the curse of sin on them, their spiritual reality. Wow. Uh, they're in spiritual captivity. They're in physical captivity. Huh. And in Isaiah chapter 65, God is speaking to all of those things. Yeah. He's saying that, oh, yes, you will, you know, experience a, 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 a literal restoration at the end of time. Yeah. But you also ex- experience a physical and spiritual restoration now. And he gives, you know, when he talks about the child not dying to 100, these are, I believe, are just symbols alluding to that. Yeah. This idea of restoration restoration going on amongst the people um, becoming a beacon of hope a beacon of light again they are restored to do that to bring forth the Christ to the world but yeah it's just fantastic stuff like God really speaking to our needs in prophecy and we're going to be talking about that of course more tomorrow you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith FM positively different so good so that means we've it's come time for Question of the day. Okay, so this morning's question is, was Jesus being a prejudice to the Phoenician woman when he called her a dog? Did he repent of this? And does that mean he sinned? Okay, so the story of the Syrophoenician woman, let's let's just read it. Uh, In Mark chapter 7, verse 24, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and he wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let this children be filled first, for it is not a good for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs and she answered and said to him yes lord yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs then he said to her for this saying go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter and when she had come uh, to her house she found that the demon had gone out and the daughter was lying on the bed so the question is essentially like was did jesus hold these prejudices because, for example, like, you know, um, you can watch many um, biopics or, or, or um, period pieces about the um, slavery, slavery era in the uh, in America, right? And the people who play the slavers, they'll use some very choice and very offensive and very not okay language today. But they have a past... So pass, so to speak, to do so because we know that they're doing it um, not from a place of actual prejudice, but to give an example. Um, and of course, uh, Jesus isn't necessarily using language that heavy, but he's using, you know, calling this woman a little dog. It's like the question is, does Jesus himself hold these prejudices? And, you know, if he was a normal person saying this, then it very much could be said that, oh, well, maybe he does. Because this is the way that uh, Jews looked upon people from other races. You know, you've got to think of the way that they treated Gentiles and the Samaritans and even proselytes, people who had become Jewish without Jewish descent. Uh, they were seen as second-class citizens and treated really horribly. But that's, again, it's the question, did Jesus himself hold within his heart, you know, was he conditioned to be, you know, to hold these prejudices and he let it slip out and then furthermore needed to repent? Um, From a theological perspective, this needs to be impossible um, because Jesus 
can't be a sinner. Jesus is perfect. Um, it's not that Jesus can't be a sinner, but it's that he isn't. Um, Jesus is is perfection uh, in the sense that he chooses to be perfect because he, he is, you know, he's the ultimate example. But... You know, then he goes on to say this thing. What was the purpose of that? Why did he just call this chick a little dog in front of all these friends? See, what Jesus was doing here was he was being intentionally provocative. Um, And he was doing so for the purpose of essentially really kind of getting to the heart of, you know, the problems that were going on in Israel. Also kind of proving, uh, you know, kind of having a dialogue with a woman that would, you know, her response would show Jesus where she's at. Because if Jesus says to her, you know, based on everything that Jesus has done so far, being that he's completely against prejudice, he's healing the sick, you know, feeding the poor, you know, supporting the the lepers and the withered and everything, like all of his actions point to the fact that Jesus is not prejudice. He's amazing. He's incredible. He's anti-prejudice. He's uh, just incredible in that sense. Um, but then he, he does, he makes this, you know, slight change in character where he says, oh, you know, it's, it calls this woman, you know, a little dog. The purpose of it was to see oh, where she's at. Mm. And even through that, she could identify, no, this man, I know why he's doing it. This man is the Messiah. So mm. ultimately, no, this wasn't from a place of prejudice, but if anything, love. And we have this amazing story now. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.